0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, the electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Paula Harris stays with us this hour. Paula is a photojournalist, investigative reporter in the field of UFOs and extraterrestrial related phenomena. She also is a widely published freelance writer, especially in Europe. In 1997, Paula met and interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico, and became a personal friend and confidant. She was instrumental in having his book The Day After Roswell, for which she wrote the preface, translated into Italian. One of Paula's most recently published books, Exopolitics' Stargate to a New Reality, contains 23 new and exciting interviews with international expert witnesses. Paula lives in Colorado and travels to Rome, Italy often. She has a master's degree in education and teaches history and photojournalism, as well as online classes in Exopolitics for Michael Sala's Exopolitics Institute. Just a reminder that Paula will be appearing at the Alien Cosmic Expo that's happening Saturday, September the 21st, Sunday, September 22nd, and that takes place at the uh, Toronto Airport uh, Marriott Hotel, September 21, 22. Paula will be speaking on the Saturday from 2.45 p.m. to 4 p.m., and uh, she stays with us uh, for the full hour here. So, let's talk about J. Allen Hynek and Project Blue Book. First of all, uh, how did you hook up with, uh, with Mr. Hynek? I guess it was around 1980, correct?
1: Yeah, I, my whole life has been a series of, um, incidents that I sound like and feel like they've been pre-programmed. Uh, in 1979, they gave me a class. I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher, um, called Science Fiction. And then I watched a movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and, of course, I had a very emotional reaction to the very last part of that where um, Francois Truffaut plays Jacques Vallée, uh interacts with the beings, and then I saw that Alan Hynek was part of it because he came out in the cameo role. So I began to research this, and I thought, oh, I wonder if this stuff is real. And then there was a wedding in Evanston, Illinois, and I went to the wedding, and then I broke away, and I said, I'm going over to the Center for UFO Studies and see what files they have. Well, when I walked in there and told the secretary that I spoke Italian, she told Alan Hynek, and he came from around the corner with that famous pipe. You know, I see him now, you know, with that white hair and the beard and and the pipe, and he said... Um, you speak Italian, can you translate all the Italian sightings I'm getting? Will you work with me? And so we were very close friends. Uh, I was close friends with his family, with Paul Hynek, who's the youngest son. Um, I I went to his house in Evanston. He came to Boulder a lot, and I worked with him. And, you know, Richard, the, the good part about that is that I knew right away it was real, that this wasn't some hypothetical Uh, thing that we were dealing with I knew it because not only you know was he an astronomer and he used to tell me not to misplace Venus for a UFO but his whole uh, group of people that he worked with at the Center for UFO studies were all uh, people that you know were scientists and you know he coined the uh, first the encounter of the first second third he wanted physical traces he wanted to examine soil. I mean, he did it right. So I, I had the greatest teacher in the world.
0: It's interesting the Heinix evolution, if I can use that word, because I mean, here's a guy that was involved in Project Sign and Project Grudge, which I've always found to be a fascinating uh, code name for a project. Project Grudge. And then Project Blue Book, because I mean, he was initially brought on board to kind of throw a wet blanket on all this. To be, I mean, he was a skeptic, right? What did he ever talk to you about, sort of his personal evolution in this field and how he came to be such a an ardent believer?
1: He did, but can I recommend books about this? I mean, uh, Jacques Vallee wrote four books called Forbidden uh, Science, Volume One, Two, Three, and Four, and I read all four of them. They're diaries. So they talk about Alan's evolution because Jacques writes diaries and and after I read those four books I I I figured it out I figured every you know a lot of what I didn't know out but what had happened was that that it was a job in the beginning I mean he had five kids it was a job he he tried to do it the best he knew how and then all at once he began to see that it didn't fit the mold and he was a hero in that in that respect and the case that turned him around uh, uh, to look at the interplanetariness of it was the the Lonnie Zamora case in uh, Socorro. Uh, He went down there physically, and, you know, here's a a state trooper that sees a landing, I think it's 1964, and sees three beings come out of the craft, and he's not lying. And so Heineck had to change the way he thought. And That's why I admire people who change their minds. He began to look at these things. Uh, You know, I think he did the Pascagoula, Mississippi case with Calvin Parker and those guys. And uh, he began to say, there's something here. I can't play the game anymore. I can't just say it's all swamp gas. Of course, uh, knowing researchers uh, later on, they really, really made him pay for it. They would criticize him, saying, you know, we were here before you, we got the message before you, you're Johnny-come-lately. But Alan, um, in his later years, not only did he, uh, you know, tend to know that this was real, that it could be planetary, he espoused some of Jacques Vallée's ideas, and that the normal was very, very much involved in this, uh, and that, uh, you know, it could be a dimensional situation that it could be orchestrated, uh, all of these things. I mean, he, his mind really opened up to it, and I wasn't ready for it yet, Richard. I couldn't deal with what was in the craft, and when he died in 1986, I didn't even want to know. I was happy doing the translations, I was happy putting pins and maps, I was happy... Just making it nuts and bolts, and I didn't want to go any farther. But boy, have I changed since then!
0: Was was it because you were conflicted?
1: It was because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. It's not in my paradigm. I wasn't raised that way. I mean, it's like this is why you know you got to look at the interpretation of some of these things with these people. I couldn't do it. It couldn't. It wouldn't go. I couldn't. You know, it seemed like. Fairy tales to me, I couldn't go there until I started doing later work and I, I began to see that it was just as real. All that stuff was just as real as the nuts and bolts
0: right. was there a a particular incident or I don't know something that that, that Heineck told you that kind of just finally blew the doors off everything for you no
1: it's Colonel Corso oh it was Corso Corso. okay Corso oh my god (laughs) no of course so it was you know I I didn't want to do that story and it's in my book um uh connecting the dots I talked about it was the 50th anniversary of Roswell and I was in Italy and I didn't want to do the story and I didn't prepare for it didn't even know what the book was about and there was no room in Roswell, but I ended up in the in the room next to Colonel Philip Corso by accident. Okay, just like I ended up in in Heinick's uh, place by accident. Um, so Corso, over a course of uh, a period of time, began to talk to me about his contact, his contacts, and uh, he and I was able to travel with him in Italy, and he definitely was a dimensional. Jumper. He remembered his past lives. He he had all kinds of paranormal activity uh, that he was involved with as head of the CIA in Rome. It was a CIC. It wasn't CIA yet. It was a CIC. And the thing is that um, I then he told me about his encounter at, White, at, uh, at the you know the White Sands missile range there uh, with the being, and and uh, that's actually what he told me when I first met him, and I. I you know, I should have been a better journalist, Richard. I wasn't. I said, I'm not print, printing this because they're going to think you're a crazy old man. And I want the back engineering story. Tell me how you back engineered the Army back engineer. I didn't want any contact story. But boy, from that point on, after he died in 98 to where we are now in 2019, I have blown open my mind. I've had to change my mind over and over and over again
0: let 's just uh back up again, because you know there may be a few people not totally familiar with Colonel Corso, and this was the uh, the gentleman who wrote the day after Roswell along with uh, Bill Burns, of course. Uh, and he was part of this program to back engineer the, he, was, well he was in charge of the foreign technology desk, right? At, was that at Wright-Patterson? Exactly, right, right, wright- yeah, Patterson. at
1: Wright-Patterson. Yeah, at Patagon, actually. It was 1960s, it was in the Kennedy administration times.
0: Right, and so the, the Roswell crash debris was taken, uh, to wright pats uh, and, uh, the, the, the Corso was supposedly assigned to try and back-engineered this. Uh, and this is the book that uh, supposedly, if I remember correctly, it w- was what got uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer interested. Someone gave him a little summer reading and he and he was given the, a copy of Corso's book and that changed everything for, for Hellyer.
1: Well, it did because he had connections and he could per- call generals, he could call people, military people to ask if Corso was telling the truth. And a uh, and, you know, Corso, I knew him very, very, he had a sense of integrity. He wouldn't be writing a book about uh, lies, but people got him on the idea that some of this technology was already in the mainstream. Well, of course it was. The first crash happened in San Antonio, New Mexico, in 1945, when the Army and Air Force were together, and then there was Avtech Corona, uh, there was the planes of St. Augustine, there was all these these uh, recoveries in, in the early days after the atomic bomb, and nobody is going to throw that stuff away. Nobody. And so what happened, I think, is that the Air Force started its own, you know, back engineering program, but they, they were already probably way ahead of the Army, because remember, Colonel Porto's just Army. He's bragging about the Army. It's only about the Army. But those other retrievals, and they're not just in the United States, they, they were all all over the world. I mean, th- that that stuff, even Russia, is is going to be uh, used uh, in some capacity. So that are, answers the argument that it's already in the mainstream. By the time Corso got it in 1960, um, a lot of it was already being developed in the mainstream.
0: What did he tell you about his time at um, at Wright Pad? I mean, did he see alien bodies?
1: No, he didn't work at Wright Pad. He worked at uh, he worked at, uh, at different places all around the world. We did see the, the alien body. You know, when, what he described was this: that in 1947, he was. Uh, in charge of uh, a, a place in, in in Fort Riley, Kansas, in other words, a base there. And the first time he, right there, uh, around the Roswell time, and I'm not sure that was the Roswell aliens, uh, there was a cargo that came into the, believe it or not, the, uh, the veterinary headquarters. They put them there where the horses were, and he opened up one of the cases, and there was an alien body there. And he remembers it clearly because... He said, I looked at it. They said they came from the, out of Roswell. I think it came out of that area. Um, he says, but he said, I kept it in the back of my mind for later. And I think later he was read into this and he knew because when he had the contact in 1957 with the being that was alive, the one at White Sands, the one that, that asked him to shut his radars down. The one that said, uh, when Colonel Corso said, what do you have to offer me? He answered, a new world if you can take it. He wasn't lying. Uh, and it was not a great, it was a little man with a kind of a, a helmet. Uh, and Colonel Corso did shut his radars down. he explained to me that it was very common that the radars would bring down these, these craft. So Corso happened to be part of history. Uh, the history of, tel- of the disclosure that we have—it started with Corso's coming out, in uh, you know, talking about this with his book, and uh, at the uh, 50th anniversary, 1997, which I attended, and then Paul Hallier gets involved, and then see—you so, so can see this is, you know, really slow disclosure because these are credible people.
0: Right, right. And you wrote the preface uh, for that book. Uh yeah, in, Italy.
1: in Italy. Yes, in Italy. I
0: did. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, your your chance encounter with 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 Heineck and then you know, being in the next room at uh, the Roswell anniversary. Uh this is beyond serendipity. What do you think is going on with you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, I, it it, it's, it gets weirder because I meet all the people I'm supposed to meet. I was very close to, to Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo 14 astronaut. I, I was a very, a very close to the top players in, in, in ufology. It's like what happens to me is if I have a question, the universe answers it. It puts me right smack in the middle of where the question is, and I meet the people I'm supposed to meet. So I met... A lot of the players, uh, the top players in the field, and had interesting conversations with them. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm just trying to figure it out, like everybody else. What has helped me is Jacques Vallee's books, the, the Forbidden Science, because he he was everywhere, and uh, you know, he has a, an overall perspective on it. And um, so what what I, I i don't know what i'm doing here i don't know why all this is going on but i know like you said it's not serendipity it's it's an effort i think to raise consciousness and if we raise our consciousness we become awake and aware and, and know what's you know what part we play in this whole scenario
0: Right. You mentioned Valet. I mean, he's kind of reemerged, hasn't he, after kind of a self-imposed exile from this arena? What's happening there? Why? Why now?
1: Well, I think, well, I know he's he's got uh, quite a bit to do with, uh, what's his name, James Fox's film. He's in there. He's in that film. I think that, w- look at our ages, all of us. We're up in, I don't know about you, but I'm 74. Um, and Jacques is 79. Uh, I think in our later years, we come together to kind of look at what the answer might be. And for the intellectuals, and I don't mean this as entertainment. Unfortunately, I think our field has become solid entertainment. But for the people, the intellectuals, the ones that read, the ones that have a long discussion, uh, you know, like Edgar Mitchell did and like uh, the people at SRI, uh, and like the you know, people that are really interested in our later years, I think we want to know, so we come out and, and, and start having a dialogue, which is really great. Uh, and he has a lot to offer. I've been following his work, um, uh, very well lately because he, he talks about the paranormal being part of this and, and, and it is, uh, all the weirdness that I've had around me. Doing this is part of the phenomenon. It is not separate uh, from the phenomenon. The phenomenon manifests itself, Richard, in so many different ways. It's not just documents. It's not just abductions. It's not just, you know, sightings. It's not just, it's like a lot of different areas that come together.
0: And Someone, uh, Victor Vigiani, a good uh, f- a friend of mine and also y- y- yours, uh, said that said something to me once. I thought was was spot on, and that is when we finally figure out what's behind all this, it'll probably be something completely different than what we can possibly imagine. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's straight on. That's beautiful statement. I think that's what um, Jacques believes for sure. I think that's what Alan believed. Um, and it, it is. And it's and it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we've been working for such a long time in this area. You'd you like to think you have it figured out, but we don't have it figured out. And, and we're spending, I think, too much time in looking at the government involvement because I think they don't have it figured out. They can't figure it out either. So they're looking at the overall picture trying to figure it out. So we're all walking around trying to figure it out. And uh, I, I, Victor is straight on. That is absolutely right.
0: Valet was talking about an element of a deception behind this whole UFO ET. Was he, was he talking about human deception or is there an element of deception on the other side as well? Was he hinting at maybe some nefarious purpose by certain races of ETs or civilizations of ETs
1: no I think he means on the other side but I don't think it was nefarious I think what he says is they show themselves enough and then they do something to discredit the whole entire story Uh, I think a perfect example of that is the Billy Meyer case which I I really believe is true I mean Wendell Stevens was one of the best researchers on planet Earth and he did that case Uh, with, uh, um, you know, Brit elders and Lee elders. They weren't kidding around there. They lived there, uh, and they did the case, but things came up to completely discredit the case. And sometimes it comes from the beings themselves, uh, because maybe they don't... It's like it's up to them if they're going to show themselves. It's up to them if they're going to... Uh, due disclosure uh, it's not us by the way if they want to go over every major airport in the world at the same time they can do that but i think that sometimes what they do is give a little hint and then they don't follow through and i think that's what Jacques was talking about because he said it's very hard to follow the, the breadcrumbs with them it's very hard to follow the reasoning because they're not human it's hard to follow the, the uh, even if there, it, it might be a manifestation of our own consciousness. That blew me away when I read that. Uh, a manifestation, it's like a school for us to learn about us. Hmm. Whoa, that, that really goes to another level. You know, it's a manifestation of our consciousness in the universe to learn about us as a species. And in, in the process, along the way, maybe we'll evolve. I mean, we're
0: pretty primitive right now. All right. uh, Because we're
1: back. Yeah.
0: Sorry. I'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, continue to delve into, let's say, the future of disclosure, uh, the secret space program and more. Paula Harris, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth will set you free, but first it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarah. Paula Harris stays with us, and again, she will be a headline speaker at the Alien Cosmic Expo happening September 21-22 at the Airport Marriott Hotel. In Toronto, and you can go to aliencosmicexpo.com, uh, to register and for more information. Aliencosmicexpo.com. Paula is speaking on the, the Saturday, uh, incidentally, 2.45pm to 4pm. Uh, we were talking about, uh, well, a lot of things, Jacques Valet. I wanted to just talk a little bit about d- disclosure. You mentioned the Academy to the Stars and, um of course, we. Everyone seems to, to to look at that December 2017 New York Times piece as kind of a a, a game changer, a a sea change in the atmosphere regarding disclosure. Um, what do you think the future is? I mean, where are we going from here?
1: Well, first of all, just just on my personal level, my kids won't talk about the subject matter at all. They haven't talked about it, at, you know, they they don't want to delve into it. But when that article come out, came out, it made me legitimate. And it's so funny, because they sent me the article, they said, Mom, you know, there, you, there really are you. <laughs> and I thought, come on, you know, what do you think I've been doing for 40 years? Uh, so, yeah, that, that that helped me a lot. But, uh, Richard, I truly believe as an investigator that with everything like that, there's an agenda. So it isn't because they want disclosure and they want the world to know. What they want, uh, what that group wants is the the funding to back-engineer the technology uh, and we don't know what it will be used for. Um, because, and then the only way they could push that through is to make it look like there's a threat. So if there's a threat, we need the technology because there's a threat. Because then we go to Verne von Braun's famous line you know, we this plan is built on war and reconstruction. War, and, and when we run out of enemies, we have to look at the extraterrestrial card as the last card. That's Carol Rosen who says that too, because she knew von Braun. So the, I, I look at because I'm an I'm an investigator. What's the agenda? Why it, it isn't done? Because you know, let's all get together and meet the aliens. It's done. Uh, with the, uh, you, the override that there has to be a preparation for an alien threat. So, I, I'm not exactly a fan of that thinking because if they were going to do that, they should have done it in 1945 when we exploded the atomic bomb and started a chess game which will never end. So, uh, they could have done it back then if they were a threat. But, um, and you know with Robert Salas and, uh, maelstrom air, uh, yes. air base shutdown of the missiles they wanted to do away with us they would have done it right there when they shut those missiles down so uh, there's an agenda what it did do is raise consciousness it helped my kids understand that this was real <laughs> it, uh, it basically uh, raised consciousness and, and, and uh, whoever's working with this in governmental ways knows that this was real anyway um, so where's it going? I have no idea um you know, it's you, uh, everything has an agenda. I don't know where it's going from this point on. Uh, and I would rather uh, that we looked at ourselves raising consciousness and try to change a few things on this planet than worry about making, uh, you know, uh, any kind of uh, warfare with advanced technology. So that's my personal
0: take. Uh, I mean, in terms of where it's headed and if we look at more of the nefarious track here and the and the idea that uh they're going to try and stage an alien invasion uh, are we talking like project Bluebeam
1: no I don't think it's going that way uh i'm I'm really surprised it went to the history channel myself because it was if it was disclosure it's on t v now it becomes entertainment um I, you know, one of the last episodes was you, uh, Italy shoot shot down UFO. No, Italy, that case I know it. I've talked to the guy on the television screen that was the Navy Admiral. I talked to him personally in 2005. Uh, Italy did. Uh, I mean, no shot, no UFO shot down any Italian anything. Um, that was an interaction with the balls of light in in Sicily that we're having problems with these balls of light they were coming out of the water, so that was electromagnetic anomaly, but that was presented on the History Channel as uh, the UFO was shot down, shot down a helicopter. That helicopter's wings melted. The pilot walked out of there, so I don't think that was a shoot-down of anything. But it was so ominous uh, that they went to Congress with that. They said, oh, Italy had a, like a shoot-down. So if they do this, if ETs did this in Italy, they're going to do it here and i was thinking oh no don't do that because that's not uh that's not true what happened and uh if they were going to shoot us down it's probably as a result of some kind of conflict where we started shooting so it's the agenda i'm worried about richard i don't know why uh, what where we're going i don't know what the direction is with the, that kind of disclosure uh and as far as the secret space program that was the big uh you know Title of everything two years ago. It's like we have a brand new thing we're looking at every year. Um, of course, of course, the Germans had a secret space program. Of course, they did. So I mean that's logical. We have the German scientists here, you know, right, helping right. with uh, put rockets in in the sky.
0: Yes. Uh, well, you mentioned the secret space program. Uh, Randy Kramer, of course, will be at the Alien Cosmic Expo. Um, I mean, does his his story about, you know, serving on, on Mars, does that jive with, with your research and what you've heard? Does that your evidence sort of corroborate his story?
1: No, I have no evidence to corroborate his story. However, is it possible? Yes. Uh, I, I believe that uh, portals can be created uh, where people can walk in, you know, the portal, come out another place. Uh, I think that technology... The reason why I think that I did I did the Dan Burrish case, uh, and he talked about portals, and he talked about a te- technology being very very advanced. There, do I think it's possible? Absolutely, but not, nothing that I have uh, researched, um, sh- you know, talks about that. Talks about that particular uh, situation. I think it's very interesting to listen to everything.
0: Right, but you have talked to people who have talked about deep space platforms.
1: Yes, one, one person, uh, Frank Ferguson, he's in my book. He said that in 1950, his father worked at a deep space platform, uh, and he talked about his father and his deathbed saying that they had collaborated with, uh, with uh, you know, cosmic Cultures on that platform. Uh, in 1950s. Can you imagine 1950s? And then when I did the Charles Hall case, he was telling me, and that was 1965, that rockets were going off at Nellis, near Nellis, when we were all looking at Cape Canaveral. So I'm going, okay, well, you know, maybe stuff is happening at other places, and we're all looking at, you know, Cape Kennedy, and there's they're not going to show where they're doing the rest of the you know, the research because it's none of our business or whatever. Uh, but everything is not as it seems. Uh, I think that there is, you know, research going on that somebody deems that we shouldn't know about. Um, did I find out about any of it? Only the Frank Ferguson story, which is, you know, and that's word for word what he told me. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, and, and then the fact that, you know, I did the Charles Hall Tall White Aliens case, that happened 1965 and there were rockets going off in that area on Area 51. So I don't know uh, how much it's been developed. Um, and I think a lot of it has become entertainment. So we've got all this infighting and all these arguing about who did what. Um, in, because... I think real disclosure is not on TV. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that the real people are not going to just go on TV and talk about this. They will probably talk in the back room with the intelligence community and other people, probably. Uh, that's how I see this scenario going.
0: That's the trick, isn't it? There's so much disinformation uh, and spin. I mean, when you walk into a conference, and I don't want you to name names, but do you, do you have sort of a, a handle on... You know who's on one side or the other, saying, "Well, that person's here to spread disinformation, and this person is is not credible." Uh, you know, I, I don't want you to name names, but does that happen when you when you go to conferences? Too much,
1: too much, and it's not. Some people really believe what they're saying, so I don't think they're they're lying. They really believe it. So I think uh that that uh, some people really believe I I mean I'm not going to name names but there's one particular uh event that I read the book cover to cover and that book is not credible at all and people just took it for granted that this person what he said was true but I had to re- see I'm still reading books I I have to read the person's um accounts in order to collaborate with you know what uh, corroborate with what I found out and what I find out is not in the United States. I mean, a lot of what I found out was in Europe, uh, about a lot of UFO sightings, about testing that was done in the Pacific. And uh, in, in, I'm now in Latin America. I'm on my way to Chile. I've been to Colombia. I've been to Argentina. And those people tend to tell the truth. I mean, they're humble people who don't want to be on TV. And so I can talk to these people and get a lot more information in these countries than I can here. Okay, back Uh, with... And yes.
0: Back with more of my conversation with uh, Paula Harris. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. That was interesting, you were talking about sort of contrasting the, uh, the way that other countries around the world, uh, look at the UFO issue. Uh, you mentioned Chile, you know, South America versus the United States, Europe versus the United States, uh, and how in the United States, this whole field has become entertainment. Uh, I mean, do you ever, do you ever, ever think about just stop going to to UFO conferences in the United States and, and focusing on uh, Europe or South America because they're getting at the truth there?
1: I'm always going there. In fact, I spent a month uh, I spent a month in, in uh, Italy and a part of it was I did a show on the Giants uh, in Sardinia for Gaia. I mean, I, I did it as a consultant. I did, I was not, you know, I don't want to do that kind of thing. I don't do ancient aliens, but as a consultant, I did it because I spoke the language and the people there had, you know, seen giant bones and so forth. And, uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of time outside the United States, but I, let me, let me say something. In the frustration that it is entertainment, uh, about six years ago, I started my own conference in Laughlin, Nevada, Nevada called Star Wars USA. And I brought over the Latin American contactees, I brought over the Italians, I brought over uh, uh different uh, countries, um, I brought over Haktan Octagon from Turkey uh, because I was frustrated with the way the conferences were going here so that people could have an international dialogue. And this conference that I'm doing on ESP has Erie Geller in it and, and Russell Target and the whole SRI thing in the ESP, um, studying of remote viewing, and that is from the 1st to the 3rd of November at the Aquarius Hotel. So w- my effort to do that is to try to switch the conferences over to a dialogue like a, a university, like it, it would be a university. Uh, and uh, I don't have any images of little greys in, lo- in the lobby, and the reason why is because I want scientists to walk in there. I want scientists, I want people that really care, that want to be seen with all of us, and uh, the people that have dialogue. So I've done my, my part in changing that uh, idea, and, and I'm excited about Canada. Um, uh, and and I, I go to some conferences, but mostly I'm in the field doing the research because, you know, in, in the last years of our lives, we want to kind of put the puzzle together.
0: Right, right and are we any i mean there's the disclosure movement and you know as you say that's kind of suspect we're not sure where that's going but in in terms of just data and and you know uh, collecting physical evidence are we pushing the needle at all
1: well um, i i'm going to support mufon here <laughs> they are the data collecting group and if, if if anybody's having any kind of experience, they have to go somewhere to where the data is being put in the computers, so that we can get the more data, the more we can paint the picture. So yeah, I support mufa one hundred thousand percent, and Jan Harzan and that group, and of course the, the the group Stu Bundy in in your group in Canada. And yes, it's it's just how we how we harvest the data. If somebody said, Paula, why don't we have a world conference at the University of Colorado on UFOs? For instance, University of Colorado has bad karma because they're the ones that (laughs) had the Condon committee report that did the whitewash. If if we would do that, and people wouldn't want to wear the t-shirts and the tinfoil hats and come to just party, and they would come for a, a really good dialogue at the University of Colorado with professors and scientists and everything that would be darned exciting and it would be darn exciting for me cuz i love to listen to their a- another perspective
0: right right but i guess when i'm talking about data uh i mean like hard evidence uh like you know somewhere out there someone has in a desk drawer uh you know a piece of a piece of, uh, a piece of uh, debris or something um, you know when are we going to f- finally start to see that in public, on a public display?
1: Well, I can tell you that Gaia TV just uh, just interviewed Clifford Stone and he had a piece of debris. Uh, he was crash retrieval. He shows it. He shows a piece of debris. He talks about the three crash retrievals in Vietnam. Um, we will see that, Richard, when people start studying it, like, you know, the Charles Hall case where these these beings were at area near area 50 uh 51 it was near Dogbone lake these people were there in 1965 um you know if people start studying all the books and all the i mean just just look at you know even travis i mean there the needle is pushed it's just that people aren't studying it uh we have pieces of metal i don't think that's what what the story is. I I think that probably when we start traveling in outer space, when we um, start going to other planets, when we start becoming members of the cosmos, we will get a lot more uh, data and and you can't hide it. It's not going to be hidden. But I just really want people to care. I want them not to look at the entertainment value or the, uh, you know, the con- only the conspiracy stuff, but look at what it means for humanity. What does it mean for this species? I mean, Hawking talks about this. Mishukaku uh, has a statement where he says, look, we're going to be interacting with ETs. Get over it, you know, get used to it. This is, this is Mishukaku, but who's reading Mishukaku's books? I- I'm thinking, okay, well can
0: we get serious about this and then we'll all see what we have? Hmm. Okay, Paula, stay put. We'll uh, come back with more in a moment. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarrett. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Paula Harris is standing by to continue our discussion on UFO disclosure. Just a reminder, coming up next week, Captain Randy Kramer will be here to talk about the secret space program for the full two hours. And Randy will also uh, be speaking at the Alien Cosmic Expo, and that's happening September 21 and 22. Out at the uh, Airport Marriott Hotel here in Toronto. And again, for information and to order tickets, go to aliencosmicexpo.com. Alien Cosmic Expo dot com. I'm going to do my darndest to uh, to get out there at least for part of uh, one of those dates. And if you're there and you see me, come say hello. Now, on the 29th of September, John Barber, a real television pioneer, the man really credited with creating reality TV. Do you remember that program, Real People, back in the uh, the late 1970s and 80s? That was created by John Barber. But he was also a, a film and television critic uh, for many years, an Emmy award winning uh, TV journalist. And uh he was on earlier this summer with Don Jeffries for about an hour, but I'm going to bring John back. He's coming to Toronto at the end of September, and uh, I kind of missed out on getting to interview John. So he's going to come on September the 29th for the full two hours live in studio. We'll talk about his new autobiography, of course, which is getting rave reviews about growing up in Toronto. That's right. He's Canadian, but also his long and um, varied career. But we'll also talk about the JFK assassination. Did you know that John Barber uh, was the only person ever to interview New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison at length on camera? So we'll talk about that as well. All right, back to Paula Harris. What has you really sort of excited these days in terms of your field work and investigations? Is there a particular case?
1: You mean, what's the newest thing I'm working on? Yes, Um, yes. There's a case in Genoa, in Italy, uh, that I want to finish up. It's called uh, Pier Fortunato's Amfretta Case, but it's in English, the book. They can go look it up. This man has been having contact with these beings for 27 years, and he, like, goes up to this mountain. I've been on the mountain. He goes into the craft, Richard, and they download his uh, memories for for the, the month. So he sees on the screen everything he did and all the people he talked to. And unfortunately, I was one of the people. So when he went in the craft, he he saw me on the screen. And these beings, they do this to him because he has an implant. Now he's undergone sodium pentothal. He has uh, told the truth. He's been, the police follow him. (laughs) And, And so this is a real case, but it's not an American case. And I, I really am fascinated with that kind of contact case, because I want to know who those beings are. They're not reptilian, they're not gray, and they're not Nordic. I want to know why they're downloading his memories, what they want with him, and that excites me. And, and I, I would like to, but I have to go back to Italy next, next year to do it.
0: And you went up that mountain. Anything interesting, yeah. interesting happened to you when, when you were up there?
1: I couldn't do it because what happened was, first of all, when we got there, there was a, a car, a white car with a guy reading a newspaper, so I knew we were being watched the whole time. And the mountain has a very skinny path where there's a, a drop, a solid drop. And I started to walk it in broad daylight and I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I got like a couple of steps in or, you know, a, a little ways in. I said, Pietro, I can't do it. And he does it at one in the morning one in the morning where you can't see anything and and of course Wendell Stevens brought him to the United States and and uh, in the old days and so this man has told his story what's interesting to me is the agenda that these beings have uh, which is looking at how we live but they do it through downloading his memories uh, and he has to go when he gets the signal in the, in the implant no matter where he is he uh, gets in the car and he goes so I knew that when I was with them on that mountain, we were being watched. We were being watched. I mean, they knew not only from maybe whoever was in the white car, but from the beings themselves. The beings know what's happening.
0: Because of the work that you do, I mean, you're boots on the ground. A lot of people, you know, they write books, they theorize, but you're uh, boots on the ground. Do you, do you get followed? Do you suspect, you know, you're, you're, you're being monitored?
1: Oh, yeah. And often, you know, on the phone, I just say, hey, it's too bad you guys can't pay me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work for you. You're curious about what's happening. You know, I'm doing it all out of my pocket, Richard. Uh, uh, My kids are so angry. They go, Mom, my God, in your years, why aren't you at the Bahamas, you know, in some hotel and, and, you know, swimming up to the bar? And I'm going, (laughs) no, my money is not going there. My money is going to to Chile next month to do some research in the Atacama Desert, and that's where I will be next month, Richard, because I want to know, because I want those people to tell me what they see and what they're experiencing. So my money goes there. I mean, I've never been sponsored. I I go there, and then I have the Laughlin Conference where I come back and talk about my research. So, yeah... uh, what can I say? It's it's interesting. It's like Indiana Jones. It's, and, and do they monitor? Yes, they monitor. They, they want to know I'm doing it for them. So they want to know what I found out. You know who? You know what it is. Uh, everybody, even the intelligence com- uh, community, wants to know what's going on. Everybody wants to know what's going on. It's all curiosity.
0: What's going on in the in the desert down in Chile?
1: Okay, there there's – near the Atacama Desert, uh, on the Atacama Desert, is a place called Alma. It's 15,000 feet high, and there's a lot of radio telescopes there. There's some from NASA, some from China, some from America. Um, it, that's awfully high, uh, and uh, something is happening. And uh, they're all – and the people that are down there, uh, a lot of the people are seeing uh craft. Uh, very visible, and I'm wondering, you know, is is there communication going on? Even though radio telescopes are very primitive, very primitive, I mean, in movie contact, I mean, it's just, maybe there's some sophisticated radio telescopes where they're getting more than just, you know, the sound. Um, So I'm curious, I, I just you know, want to go and ask the people that live there uh, and ask about how the sightings are and what they're seeing and what they're mm-hmm. perceiving and so forth. So, um, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going down with a group uh, with Ricardo Gonzalez and a group uh, down there and uh, I just uh, it'll be really, really curious. That's where the activity is. There's a lot of activity there. There's a lot of activity in Switzerland. Um, you just It's just that we have to get out of our own, you know, small world to see that sightings are still going on, things are still happening, we're still, you know, we still have this phenomenon, but in the end, I think the message I want to leave people with is, is not about them, uh, 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 what's his name, Robert Dean said, famous Robert Dean, Sergeant Major, I love the man, said, it's never about them, it's about us and our relationship to the universe.
0: That's interesting. Can you expound on that a little bit? What does that mean exactly? It's not about them, it's about us.
1: Well, I think they hold up a mirror to this civilization. Hmm. Because we have to look at us. We have to look at, uh, it, it can't be, it's not external. It's more internal. In other words, we're looking up to the skies, and you know and I know that a sighting can change somebody's life. Uh, you know and I know that a contact can change somebody's reality. So what are they telling us? That our reality isn't what we think it is? That the universe uh, has all these possibilities? That we as a human species are bigger than we just being flesh and bones and, you know, walking around? And that we, we are something, part of something massive, something bigger? Um, we're still here, so... If we're still here, it's still school.
0: Well, and it's almost time for the bell. Uh, Paula, it's been a great pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thank you so much for hanging out.
1: Oh, thank you so much for uh, asking me.
0: And again, Saturday, September 21, 22, Alien Cosmic Expo, the Marriott Hotel at the airport, Toronto, and Paula will be speaking there on the 21st from 2.45 to 4 p.m. Go to aliencosmicexpo.com aliencosmicexpo.com for more information and to order tickets. That's it for me. Back next week with Commander Randy Kramer to talk about the Secret Space Program. And that'll be for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper... Proclaim from the housetops Move over Aphrodite, I'm coming home Good night